0: Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. Well, if you want to come grab a seat and open up to John chapter 10, I want to open with this passage, and you can follow along. It's on the screen behind me. Um, John 10, let's start in verse 1. It says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate by the, sh- uh, the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used the figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. For I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a great passage. Passages might be very familiar to a lot of you. There's an old story uh, about a pastor and a police officer. We have a few police officers in the room. We have a few pastors in the room, too. Uh, (laughs) All right, yeah. Any businessmen? (laughs) Businesswomen? No, old story about this pastor and police officer. pastor's driving, and uh, he's going over the speed limit. That happens time to time with pastors. pastor gets pulled over and uh, thinks, oh, no, not another ticket. And he's thinking, how can I get out of this? And knowing that he's a pastor, sometimes pastors are a little more grace from police officers. Police officer comes up. The cop comes up and says, license and registration. And as the cop was preparing for that cadence that we've all heard before, takes out his business card and he writes a little Bible verse that says, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. (laughs) Hands his license and registration and business card to the cop. The cop says, thank you, goes back to the car to run information. And the pastor's thinking, well, that's a good start, you know. I'll use that Bible verse, he'll read it, think about mercy. Cop comes back and says, I have to give you a ticket. Hands him the ticket, has him sign it, and walks away. And the pastor's like, oh, come on, man. I can't believe you gave me a ticket. And he's reading through the ticket and reading through the violation and why he cited. And then there's a Bible verse on it, and it says, go and sin no more. (laughs) And it's, tell that story because it's interesting how we use Bible verses, right? We almost like spar with Bible verses. And we have a Bible verse for everything. And that's a good thing. Uh, but oftentimes what happens is uh, we, we kind of, instead of having allowed like the scripture to like kind of center our lives around God's word, we like to kind of pick and choose and use this verse here and use this verse here. This would be great for my basketball game. and This would be great for, you know, and, and, and none of that's wrong. Um, but... But there's something much deeper that's going on here when we look at Scripture, this Word of God. And we've been talking about all of these like popular Bible verses that we, we throw around and use all the time uh, this summer. The, the, the words that are, are we, we call them the words to live by. And we're looking at these, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We've been looking at all of these famous passages. And, and we've been noting about how we do use them. But this summer, what we would do doing is kind of like scanning back and saying, like, what, what's kind of the context around this truth that we use regularly for all these different parts of our life? And what happens if we would kind of just unpack them a little bit and dive a little bit deeper? And, and my hope is that as we've looked at these different passages, that we would see them in a new light and that they would become even more powerful and authoritative in how we live our life as we come to know the context of it. And today's passage is uh, another passage that's very famous. And as we've read, there's this metaphor that's taking place between a shepherd and his sheep. And Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd. And as we look at the context of this passage, um, it's very similar to maybe Psalm 23 that we studied about a month ago. But there's one verse in this metaphor that's just wedged into the middle of it that I want to look at today. So in John chapter 10, it's the verse 10 that I want to look at. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says have life abundantly or abundant life or abundance and abundance of life. But it's this idea that that, that there's these uh, competing narratives in this world. There's this personification of evil. We call him this this Satan, this devil, this thief who's trying to rob us of life, trying to destroy us. And Jesus comes and he says, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, a life that is full, a life that is eternal. And it's interesting as we consider just this, this phrase from Jesus, what we find is that the gospel of John is full of this idea that the purpose that Jesus came was to give life, abundant, eternal, full life to us. John is uh, one of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. There's actually four of them in Scripture. There's Matthew and Mark and Luke and then John. And if, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are kind of similar in how they're written, Uh, they're closer in context and genre, they follow kind of the same chronological order, and they're called the synoptic gospels. And then we get to John, and John's just a different kind of storytelling. It's a, an account of Jesus' life, but, it, but it's a genre that's written much more poetically, much more mysterious. It doesn't necessarily follow the same chronological order because he's conveying a message about what Jesus is doing here in this world. And he's conveying this revelation of, of what God is doing through Jesus. And it's interesting as he says this phrase that Jesus says, I have come that you may have life And have it abundantly. Because the the gospel of John opens with the same idea. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it's talking about Jesus as, as he comes into the world. And it says this, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus comes to bring life. And the life was the light of men. What a beautiful phrase. At the end of John in chapter 20, as the story starts to wind down, it says, Many other signs, uh, therefore, did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the beginning Of John opens, in him was life. And in the middle of this John chapter 10, it says that I came that you may have life, that they may have life. And then it ends with that same idea that you may have life. The gospel of John is this gospel of spiritual direction that offers us this life that is eternal. A type of life that we start living now. A glimpse of where we're going. This idea of that eternal life, our our, our life of of heaven, of eternity. Um, It's this future destination, but at the same time, there's this present reality. We catch glimpses of it here and now, and we're called to live this life now. And we live this life through our source of life, which is Jesus. We look at this Uh, idea of life through the Gospel of John, what we find is that in the Greek culture, there were two ideas of life. There were two words that were used for life. The first word was bios. It's where we get, you know, biology. Um, The word bios meant life as nature. It was this uh, life as it pertained to uh, our timeline in, in life. We're born, we live, and then we die. We're a part of this bios, this nature that's going on around us, and it was just how they described the living. But there was this another word that was used for life, and it was the word zoe. And zoe is life that comes from God. It's a life that's uniquely touched by the divine. It's a life that's connected with the eternal power of our creator. And there's two kinds of life in Greek thought. And when Jesus talks about the life that he has come to give... He uses this idea of Zoe, of Zoe. This is a life that is in communion with God. It's a life that's dynamic. It's a life that is spiritual and has ramifications, informs how we live, make choices, interact with the world around us, interact with injustice around us interact with darkness around us. All of this formed by this Zoe life that we're a part of. And it's a life that comes from Christ, our source. A life that's offered to all of us, this Zoe life. Uh, We really like the name Zoe uh, for a daughter and wanted to name our daughter Zoe, but our last name's Doe, so we couldn't name her Zoe Doe. We just didn't work. (laughs) Didn't work right. But love the idea because we thought it was a beautiful name and it describes this life that we have with God. The life that's worth living. If we want to know how much God wants us to have this Zoe life, um, it's interesting there's this conversation that takes place in John chapter 3. I want to just kind of read through this story and what we'll find is that another very popular Bible verse pops up that we all know. It says in verse one Now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night, which is an interesting detail. He came to him at night, so he probably doesn't want a lot of people to know that he's hanging out with Jesus. He says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And like, we all know biology and we're like, yes, that makes sense. So Jesus is talking about a different kind of life to be born into. Verse 5 says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, interesting metaphor Jesus starts talking about as he's talking about this life, this Zoe, of being born into. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he uses this very earthly example. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There's a huge commentary on this story in the Old Testament that we can't break into. But he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Zoe. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Ever heard that Bible verse before? This idea that this Zoe life that God brings to us, that Jesus offers, that he says, I have come that you may have life. He's talking about this, this, this life that even transcends the physical life that we experience now. It's a life in communion with God, in a life that is eternal, in a life that we, we start living here and now. It's this foretaste of where it's heading. This is the Zoe life that God offers. Speaking of a daughter that we wanted to name Zoe, we ended up naming her Lila, Lila Claire. And uh, it's hard choosing a name when your last name is Doe. But Lila Claire seemed to ring true. And when Lila was born, um, some of you know this story. Uh, Lila was a month early. And uh, when we've had kids, they've been, like, all over the map. So, like, our son Ezra was, like, a 10-pound baby. Um, If you've seen Marcy, you're, like, where were you hiding that, you know? Big baby. Lila was a 5-pound baby. So, like, half the size of Ezra. And we knew we were having some complications with Lila. We knew she was going to be early. We were in the hospital a lot, like the seventh and eighth month. And we knew, you know, like things felt safe, but there could definitely be some things that were were complicated with this. And um, so they actually had planned for us to have a C-section a month early. It's like, wow. Um, And so like, I remember like, we're getting ready to go into the surgery to have little baby Lila. And one of the things they were talking about with Lila is that, you know, she's eight months in, she's developed and she's fine, but, like, the, the last month is really where the lungs kind of develop, and, and that's the most important thing is, like, we think she'll be fine when she's born, but we really have to make sure the, the lungs are okay. And uh, so we get, go into the surgery kind of with a great uh, anxiety and anticipation and, like, what's going to happen. And if you know me, um, when, I, when I'm around, like, surgeries and a lot of blood or when I'm at a hospital or when I see a hospital driving on the road, I get really queasy and I pass out a lot. And so like with all of our kids, we've kind of known this, like Marcia will probably be okay but we need to watch Jared. And, uh, and so like for every, every child that we've had, and we've had four, um, so I have a lot of practice with this, um, I, would, I would make it okay without passing out. For whatever reason, like I would have like some sort of like adrenaline rush and I would be strong, and I wouldn't get queasy, and I'd be fine. And, and so it was like, when we're getting ready for Lila, I have all sorts of, like, already anxiety going on. But I'm like, I'll be okay. I'll, the adrenaline will kick in, and I'll be, I'll be fine. But there was this deep concern, and she's going to be a month early. And I remember the doctor was saying, one of the first things that we want to hear is her screaming when she gets out and it's funny how like when you're around a newborn in the middle of the night and you hear screaming you're like wow this is so loud and but like for like in in this context it was like the sound of the screaming is like a joyful sound cuz that means her lungs are working and firing and so like we're we're going through the surgery and i've got all of this anxiety built up and um and i'm just like ready for the baby to be out and marcy's the same way um but so like we get into the surgery and uh and I feel okay at first, um, and I'm filming the whole thing, um, which you wouldn't think was a good idea, but I've done it before. And so I'm like, okay, we'll film this. And I remember when, when Lila, when they finally get her out of the surgery, the first thing she does is she screams, opens up her lungs, and just yells. And I remember, like, this sigh of relief. Like, we wanted, that, we wanted to hear that yell so desperately. We heard it. And then, like, everything seemed okay, and so they brought the baby over. I got to cut the umbilical cord. Um, this whole time, like, I had noticed that, like, the, the anxiety of it, like, I was sweating. And I had this weird, like, neck sweat. Like, have you ever like, neck sweat before? Like, I could feel it, like, dripping. I'm like, that's strange. Um, and they brought Lila over, cut the umbilical cord, and they're all attending to Marcy, and it was just me and Lila. And I was watching her as she was trying to breathe. And then she started to do this thing where she was, like, trying to fight for air and coughing, and it sounded like this gurgling, choking sound. And I I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, and like, this this isn't normal. And like, all I'm thinking about is like, we're waiting to see if the lungs are okay. And I can hear it and it doesn't sound like they're okay. And I was looking around the room and it was just this moment I had with Lila and the doctors were attending to Marcy and I had this panic attack. Because it didn't sound right. Like I wanted her to breathe normal. And I was like, what if this means her lungs aren't developed yet? And like, I go through all these scenarios and finally I call the doctor over and I'm so concerned about her breathing and having life. And, and the doctor goes, you don't look good. And I go, I don't feel good. And the anesthesiologist was there, like, I don't know if you know anesthesiologists, they're always like super chill in the moment. <laughs> Have like a real dry sense of humor. Like, I'm like, dude, I can't take it right now. So I, I gave him my camera and I go, just film Marcy. And I open up the door and I just pass out. Like, I don't remember what happens next. I just remember being on the floor and it was freezing cold floor in the hospital, and it felt so good. And I, and I just remember laying there and like so concerned for my daughter and overwhelmed by this moment. And then I woke up at some point, and I don't remember anything really other than the floor felt really good, and I was covered in sweat, which had gotten cold, and that felt good. <laughs> really gross, really gross, the floor of the hospital, yes. And I, I opened the door to go back in the surgery room and no one's there. And I was like, how? Lo- what? Where did everyone go? Like how long have I been out? And like, so I'm just like wandering around like the surgery floor of Paris Valley Hospital. I have no, no one's anywhere. Um, and it was this, just this crazy moment. And, and so then I like, worst things, you know, worst case scenario, like something's happened to the baby, like what's going on? It's like I'm wandering around, and I finally run into someone and they get me connected back up uh, to Marcy. She's like totally fine. she's upstairs, nursing the bit, ba- whatever. Um, but I remember that, that moment, the panic, but there was this desperation, this hope for my child to have life. And it was, it was so overwhelming for me that it caused this panic. There was this urgency that was like, I, we're, we're so concerned about our baby. It was such like a primal, like fatherly emotion to feel that. And, and a helpless emotion for me, right? Um, but I was thinking about that when you when you have a baby and you see life give, given into it, um, and when we talk about this idea of like being born again, and we talk about this idea of like this Zoe life that we enter into, and when I think about like how Jesus comes to give us life, like if I feel that for like this bios life um, for my daughter, that's temporary. Like, how much more does our God feel that for us with Zoe life that's eternal? And when we think about, like, what I would do, like, to to offer life to a child, to my child, that same desperation, God pursues us with that. And so we get to these verses like John 10.10, and it's like, I've come to give you life. It comes from this, this, our Heavenly Father's deep desire to say, like, I want you to live. I want the best for you. I want you to experience the abundance of life. And wants that so much for us that we get to John 3.16. And this is like probably the most famous Bible verse, the one that we hear all the time. And it just it's strange how the familiar the familiarity of it like lo- robs it almost of its power. But this verse that for God so loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world for us. This primal fatherly instinct that desires Zoe for us, that he would come into this world and that he would take all of the ramifications of the thief who came to kill, steal, and destroy, and he would absorb that on the cross, breaking his body open, pouring himself out, and conquering the death that the thief tried to give us. That's the the anxiety, the energy, the impulse of the father to come and do that. Uh, so much more than just this glimpse that I experienced with my daughter Lila. And this God who loves us so much is the giver of life, and he comes to each of you and says, there's this Zoe life. This life that is abundant, that is eternal, that is fulfilling. And I want you to experience it. And there's these competing narratives in our culture. Uh, these competing narratives from this thief that desires to destroy and to steal and to corrupt. And he said, I don't want that to happen for you. I want you to enter into this Zoe life, a life of abundance, a life of eternity. And this is the story that we're all a part of. And this is the invitation that God offers to us. That through him, we experience it. The band's going to come back up. And we're going to spend some time reflecting and doing something that's very sacred. Uh, when it comes to the life that we're living, I want to spend some time just considering the life. There's Bios and there's Zoe. Zoe. And Jesus invites us to this Zoe life, a life that is spiritual, a life that is eternal, but a life that is very real and physical, a life that is a foretaste of this future destination, a life that is a glimpse of heaven. And it starts here and now. And i do not sure where you're at in your life, in your journey, maybe you... uh, are living a life that's just bios, it's just normal. And you know there's something missing. Maybe you've never considered what this Zoe looks like, and you've never taken a chance to enter into it. There's an invitation today to say, to trust Jesus, the giver of life, the source of life, who offers us Zoe. Maybe you know all about this. You know all about this story. You know all about this Zoe life that's to offer. And yet for some reason there is something inside of you that is just not resonating. And you need to just open up your heart and say, God, I want this to be real. I want experiencing the Zoe life here and now. So there's a return to you. There's an openness to what you're doing. I'm not sure where you're at today. These questions that you can reflect on. But the challenge is this. To move from Bios to Zoe today. So as Tim gets ready to lead us through a time of communion, reflect on these questions. There's a, a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has come to give us life. What are things in your life that need to be given new life? What areas need to be given new life? What areas need to be renewed and restored? and redeemed. What areas need to be opened up so that Zoe can pour in. And as we move to communion, the communion represents this John three sixteen story. We take a piece of bread and it's symbolic of the body of Christ, God incarnate here. And on the cross, this body was broken open. The brokenness that we experience in life, personally, relationally, all of that brokenness it's absorbed at the cross. And then we take this juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed and poured out. We believe that this is a mystery, but as this sacred act happened on the cross, this blood washes away our brokenness and sin. And when we come to this table, we remember and declare this story of John 10.10, 10, of John 3.16. We remember, we proclaim, We live this life of Zoe. Let me pray for us. And when you're ready, when you feel comfortable, uh, let's move to the table.